Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, everybody. We are going to get into our topic this evening, and I am going to introduce our guest for today, a fantastic woman in school leadership. I have had the privilege of meeting her quite a while ago now, but she is the founder of the Young Black Teachers Network. And good evening, Kemi. Hi. It's so good to have you. Welcome, welcome to The Late Show, which is normally on a Wednesday, but it is on a Monday just for this week. So I hope no one's been confused. But it's so good to have you. How have you been? I'm good, thank you. And thanks for having me. You're so welcome. How have you found your bank holiday? It's been fantastic. I just got back from Malta. Oh, dreaming. That's good, yeah. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Oh, wish I could leave the country, but alas, (laughs) cost of living... My budget just will not stretch that far right now. I had to book so this one I'm... very far in advance just so we could go. So I get that. <laughs> Amazing. Well, maybe I'll put Malta on my list of places to go. I've heard good things. So yeah. maybe in future. So today we are talking about women in school leadership which of course is something you know very well because you are in school leadership so would you just like to introduce yourself to our guests tell us a little bit about you what you currently do and how long you've been teaching and kind of just a a synopsis of your teaching career up till now should we say so my name is Kemi and I am currently an assistant head teacher in Senko. I'm also an ad hoc guest lecturer at UEL and an educational consultant. I'm also the founder of the Young Black Teachers Network, which I started in 2018. And I've been teaching for, it will be 10 years in September. Wow. So it's, um, it's been a minute. And today I started off my career as a teaching assistant, trainee science teacher. I've worked in various schools. I've worked in mainstream schools, faith-based schools. I've worked in a private school in Dubai. I've worked in a people referral unit. And I currently work in a mainstream secondary school. So I've, I've got some experience in different types of educational settings. Amazing. And I know we're not in September yet, but I feel like I do need to say well done and congrats for making it to the 10-year mark because, as we know, lots of teachers leave within the first five years. So you've done double that. So, yes, hats off to you because, as we all know, it is not an easy thing to do. So many people are leaving the profession and, you know, we need good teachers. So I commend you highly for staying. (laughs) So you're so welcome. (laughs) So a few weeks ago, we had a show or I did a show talking to men, um, male teachers, men in schools, men in leadership. And we were just talking about the shortage of men. And that was a really interesting show. Um, And we got into some, some real statistics that I will go over again just for our listeners that might not have heard those stats um, and just anyone really that is curious. So in state-funded schools, there are around 386,000 women working, but only 124,000 men. 
Male teachers are more likely to work in secondary schools, which I find quite interesting. And you are a secondary school teacher, Kemi, so that would be interesting to hear a little bit more about. 35% of secondary school teachers are men in comparison to only 14% in primary school. But, and this is the real crux of the show, you know, despite these figures, men are still more likely than women to be in positions of school leadership. Now, I will say that the gap is closing, but there are still more men than women, which I just find really interesting because we know that the education sector is dominated by women. So in your experience growing up when you were in school, do you remember having any male teachers? Did that have an impact on you, whether you did or didn't? Yep, definitely. I do remember, I I don't remember having a male teacher. No, actually, no. I had male teachers in primary school. Mm. Um, and I also had male teachers in secondary school. My male teachers in primary school, were they were great. In secondary school, uh, one wasn't, which kind of, I don't know. I, he, he made me feel as if I was going to fail one of my GCSEs. Mm. So I didn't really like that. But um, I did have my business studies teacher. He was a, he was a guy. And he was fantastic. He was amazing. But um, mm. for him, I guess, I don't, I don't know, as a black guy, the glass ceiling for him was um, middle management. It wasn't right. anything above that. And it's, it's quite interesting. Like these stats and figures you've given, I'm not surprised. We know mm. that the education sector, as you have said, is dominated by women. However, when it comes to positions of leadership, especially senior leadership, um, that is male dominated. And to me, that doesn't make sense. And quite frankly... Right it's mad it doesn't make any sense to me um it, it shouldn't be that way especially if if it's mainly women who are working for, you know as TAs as classroom teachers um support staff you know for at all levels uh, middle management curriculum leaders and so on but then when it now comes to senior leadership when we're trying to get to the top there's that glass ceiling and it's male dominated so how come we can do everything else but for some reason, we're not good enough to lead at that top level. That's such a great point. And I've been racking my brains about it for a while and just trying to think why. Why is it that even though there are so many women in the workforce, it's so difficult for them to have these leadership positions? I don't know if you've got any theories, but I'm still like sitting with it and chewing it over because, like you said, it doesn't really make sense. So, because I'm wondering, is it a patriarchy thing? Is it that it's the same way in every other sector and it's not a unique situation to education? I'm not too sure. But do you have any theories as to why it could be? I think you hit the nail on the head. You said it the first time about the whole patriarchy thing. Um, that's exactly what it is, because um, if you want to, in other sectors right at the top it's also male dominated yes we have more more women in leadership and senior leadership positions however in many other companies or industries fields sectors whatever you want to call it it is still male dominated and um i think we are kind of moving in the right direction but i would love to see that change a lot quicker um, mm. I would hate for us to be having this conversation uh, 25 to 30 years from now if my if I have a daughter and, you know, she's having these same conversations. And that means we haven't really moved quick enough. Um, mm. it's, 
it's funnily enough, um, it took me quite a while to get my first senior leadership position. And I and because of how long it took me, despite me trying to prove myself and show that, you know, I'm good enough, I've got this experience, I've done X, Y, and Z, um, it, it it was just very difficult to break in, to break through to that. But I know for some other people, for other men, it has been it hasn't been the same story, hasn't been the same situation. It's been quite quick and um maybe maybe a lot easier than it was for me. And it is quite frustrating and sometimes it puts you off staying. Um, like you said earlier, people leave within the first five years and um by the grace of God I've stayed here for ten, almost ten years, but I'm there have been times where I've definitely thought about leaving because of that glass ceiling of not, you know, progressing into senior leadership. Mm. Thank you for sharing that because I was actually going to ask you, you know, how you got your role. And I think you did answer that um, well. And actually you, you did raise a point that, um, that I didn't consider, which is that, you know, are the opportunities even there? to enter senior leadership because I do feel like generally in secondary schools there are more avenues to get up the ranks essentially whereas primary school it doesn't feel the same way so I'm a primary school teacher and you know you kind of have your class teacher you might have your head of year or head of phase so head of key stage two or whatever and then after that it's assistant head deputy and then head (laughs) really so it's kind of like where do you go so I feel like in some cases there isn't the opportunity but in secondary school you do have a bit more you can be head of subjects head of department head of year head of pastoral whatever it might be there are more paths um and I don't know about you but would you say that when you got into teaching, have you always aspired to to senior leadership? Is that something you've always wanted to do? And was the opportunity there for you to do that? Um, well, those who, like people who know me, I never wanted to become a teacher in the first place. That was never the, my, that was never the plan. Um, so I think for me, it was, I just knew that I couldn't stay stagnant in my career. When I did get into teaching and I understood the impact I had on my students and the difference I, I could make and I was making on a daily basis, staying where I was wasn't enough for me. Mm. But I was definitely like um, that kind of, is it career chaser, like, like climber or career climber or whatever it was. I just knew that I wanted to get, I wanted to be the best that I could be and climb the ladder. Mm. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't always easy, but I do believe, my personal opinion is that it's probably easier to progress in a secondary school in comparison to a primary school, to, um, primary school. so I understand where you're coming from, because I feel like there are more opportunities in secondary compared to primary, because schools are bigger, there are more, you know, um, more positions that need to be filled, so I think it it could be a little bit easier in that sense to progress in a secondary setting compared to a primary setting. Um, and I do take my hat off to you primary school teachers. It is not easy at all. It's not easy at all to teach, but it, to teach primary school children, I, I could never do it. That's not my calling. Mm-hmm. But thank you for doing what you do. <laughs> um, I think for me, it was it was definitely about progression and the lack of representation that I saw 
when it came to um, people who looked like me in middle and senior leadership positions. And it just, it didn't sit well with me. Mm. I knew that, you know, my parents have always instilled the value of education in me. And I didn't want it to be like I was settling. You know, I, I, I've, I have done a few years as a classroom teacher, as a science teacher, and great. Will I just stay there or am I going for more? And I always strive to be the best that I can be. So mm. that was, I think that was my my driving factor, my motivating factor to become a senior leader. And I think I kind of lost heart a bit when I went for about five or six interviews and two schools actually said I interviewed perfectly, you know, they were really impressed, but they're just going to advertise for someone else. So I don't know whether there was something wrong or they didn't mm. want to tell me the truth, but you know, when you hear things like that and if you ask for feedback and they don't give you feedback, you would question mm. what was really wrong, what really went, what went wrong that you wasn't given the opportunity to be a senior leader. Mm. Um, and I kind of lost heart a bit, but I just, I thought I had to keep on going. Like the worst that someone can say is no, but if I just kept on going, eventually a door would open and it did open finally because there are people who haven't been in education as long as I have and they've been able to climb the ladder, you know, in much less time than I have. Yeah. And it has been frustrating at times when I know everything that I've done, everything I've brought to the table, but clearly there was something, I don't know whether there was something missing or those schools were just not the right fit, but it was definitely hard to break through that glass ceiling to become a senior leader. And now that I am one, I'm the only black person on senior leadership. So I feel like there's a certain type of um, pressure that I put on myself maybe. Mm. And also that I feel comes with it because of course, as a senior leader, you have more responsibility, but then yeah. you're now the first black person ever in the school to be a senior leader and you don't want to mess up for the next person. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Oh, so many interesting things in what you said there. But that last part about, um, I guess, just race in general, because it's one thing to be a woman in leadership, you know, a woman trying to climb that ladder. We already know that there's some disparity between men and women in leadership across all sectors. But then to be a black woman, that intersectionality that happens right there, it it just adds a whole other dimension that I don't think people are aware of, um, unless you happen to be very close or part of that intersectionality, part of that group. And I remember hearing someone say, you know, as a black person, just generally, you're not allowed to have a bad day because, you know, you you do one thing because you're in a mood or someone's done something to you and you respond and you react in a way that's perfectly human. That can be misconstrued or labelled, you know, with some kind of stereotype. So I can only imagine, you know, being in leadership, um, the weight (laughs) how heavy that weight must feel um would you say or can you think of any experiences where you've been where it's been challenging to be a black woman in senior leadership definitely every single day (laughs) but um of course there are times where I'm just very happy to be in the classroom and teach because that was the first thing I started doing so just being in a classroom getting away from all that responsibility and focusing on my students that's fantastic but I feel like when I'm out of the classroom and there's a you know 
a million other things that need to be done um, where you're line managing people, you're, ma- you're managing departments, dealing with various stakeholders and, you know, it's, it, external agencies, it's, it's a lot. And I think one thing that you said is, um, you know, being mindful of how if you react in a certain way compared to someone else, mine would be labelled differently. Mm. So I have to be very mindful. For example, if I'm speaking and I get cut off, and it's like, I know what I want to say when someone cuts me off, but I can't. Because yeah. it's like, you don't, want to, you, don't, you don't want that label or that stereotype. Yeah. So there's a certain way I have to say things and do things in order for, me, for myself not to get labelled in a certain way, but to still get my point across. And mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, it's, it is quite interesting because I, I, don't, I don't feel... Like I've ever, although I'm very, I'm very grateful to be in a senior leadership position and to have an impact on the lives of the students that I teach, but it is also quite stressful um, when you constantly have to think of how what you say, what you do, your actions, you know, all these things can come across something that you might not even think anything of it, but other people are now watching and you have to be very, very mindful of what you say and what you do. Of course, naturally, as professionals, we always have to be mindful. Mm. But um, being in that senior leadership position and, you know, coming into a school where naturally, no matter what school you go into, your predecessor would have had, you know, ways that they do things. Everyone, Mm -hmm. no matter who, no matter what school you're in, there's always a certain way that things were done. So when new leadership comes into play, People may be sceptical. People are trying to, you know, get a feel for who you are, how you lead, how you manage. And rightly so. They don't know you. So they have to get to know you. They have to get to know your leadership style. And it's not always easy establishing who you are as a leader in a setting where you're brand new and you're trying to build those relationships, but you're still trying to get the work done. Mm. Um, So I've been... This this year has been a lot of learning for me, a lot of learning. And I think it's the jump from middle leadership to senior leadership is not for the faint-hearted. And it's similar to like, um, I'm not sure, I'm sure some people can relate, but you know the jump from GCSE to A-level is really big? Oh, yes. <laughs> that, yeah. So my GCSEs told me that I was, I was smart, I was going to be great. And then my A-levels humbled me. So it's like, okay. <laughs> This is literally like the jump from MLT to SLT is is similar to that. It reminds me of that. And I feel like I'm starting all over again. I feel like I'm learning. I'm unlearning. I'm being challenged in different ways that, that I've never been challenged before. Um, you know, I've gone from, as a, as a middle leader, managing one department to now managing three. So, you know, managing maybe 11 people as a middle leader to now managing over 20 so it's it's definitely it's definitely different. Wow, I'm just sitting here and taking notes because I've <laughs> I've been weighing up for a while whether senior leadership is something I want to pursue or not. So this conversation is actually very insightful. But can I, I do... can I just say though, I, of course. I would love for you to still consider pursuing senior leadership, and that's not just for the sake of doing it. I'm saying in your career, if you want to, like, if that's what your heart's desire is, is to progress, 
you you don't know whose life you're going to impact at that level. Um, When I first started my role, I had some year 11 girls come up to me and said, you know, you're the first black senior leader we've ever seen in the school. And it's just seeing you here. You don't know the difference that has made. And and I hadn't even, I don't even teach these girls. I haven't done anything. Nothing I've done so far in my role had affected them directly. But for them to say that, and it's, it, it made a big difference. It made me think of my why. And it's not just to say, oh, just go into senior leadership because you're black. That's not the only reason. Like, of course, you need to have a passion for what you're doing and, you know, what you set out to do. But you have no idea the difference you're making, even indirectly. Mm. And for, the, you know, for me, I was talking earlier about the pressure and not wanting to mess up for the next black person that came along. But then those students came to me and spoke. And now I'm thinking, wow, I've now left an imprint on them. In their five years from year seven to year 11, they haven't seen any black person on senior leadership. And now in their last year of this school, they're seeing that. So Mm. it's just those things, like, it it makes a big difference. And I think sometimes we forget the difference our presence alone can make. Absolutely. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, about representation because we talk about it all the time but I, I think we underestimate the the impact of it because I remember primary school I had a black woman as a deputy head and then eventually we got a new head teacher and you know we loved this head teacher she was um she was a white woman for the purposes of this conversation and, you know, we we're all sad to see her go. But then I found out that we were having a black head teacher take over and she was a woman as well. And I remember just thinking, wow, you can be a black woman and a head teacher. Oh, my goodness. I've never seen this. And, you know, I still remember her. I still remember both of them, um, their names and everything all these years later. So it really does make such a huge impact Um like you said and when you spoke about the jump from middle leadership to senior leadership is there anything you did in preparation so did you do any national professional qualifications any courses or studying um yeah how did you prepare and how would you encourage others to prepare that might want to do the same so I never did the MPQSL or anything like that um for me I'll be totally honest number one I did a lot of prayer mm-hmm. <laughs> for me I did a lot of prayer and I spoke to a lot of people who were in senior leadership I spoke mm-hmm. to a lot of um men and women but more so women to understand how they had found it over you know the course of their career I spoke to a lot of black women as well um especially those who had maybe also been the first in their school because I could relate to, you know, they could relate to me and I could relate to them. Mm-hmm. So I spoke to a lot of people. I got a lot of advice. I read a lot of different books. Um, I didn't do any courses. apart. The only thing that I did was my National Senko Award, which was what I did as a middle leader anyway. Um, but I didn't do any, like, MPQSL. And the reason why, I just didn't, I just wanted to... I understand these qualifications are great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them at all. But for me, experience is the best teacher. Mm. And I guess I've always, 
gone I've always gone in head first for example even when I did my teacher training I didn't go down the PGCE route I went you know via schools direct where you're in the classroom from day one and yeah. you have your your you know you have your classes and so on so I think I've always gone down that route of just get the experience be right there at, in the center at the forefront and you know go in that way um in terms of preparing I had to I was very anxious very very anxious about start becoming a senior leader I was anxious about leading such a big team you know going from about had about 10 10 people that I was managing before and now it's currently 23 so going from 10 to 23 that's that's more than double Mm-hmm. And then everyone has different personalities. Everyone has different ways of doing things. So I think I had to get to know my team as well, mm-hmm. out their strengths. What is it that what it, what is it that they want to do? Maybe areas that they like to specialize in. How can I advocate for them? How can I push forward for them so they know it's not just about the roles that they're playing within the team, but also about their personal and professional development. Because mm-hmm. I started as a teaching assistant. I, that's how I started my career but people have helped me to get to where I am today. So you you never forget the fact that, you know, you was helped to get to where you are. So you also have to help others. Um, I think also part of my preparation was talking to my predecessor and getting to know um, her way of doing things. So if there's anything that, that works really well, that I could keep the same, I would do that. And if there's anything that I felt needed to be improved, then I would also do that. But if it's not broken, I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to add more to my workload or to my plate if it's running and working well. Mm. So I, I had to weigh up what is working, what can be improved, and how do we go about doing that? Mm. I love that you're, um, the previous person was so willing to help you as well because yeah. not everybody is so gracious. You know, That's you hear true. of teachers leaving schools and deleting all their planning. <laughs> <laughs> they oh, take wow. off the drive. I didn't know that. Oh no, of course you you wouldn't. But believe me, I've seen it. I have taken over classes, and the previous teacher has just whoop, cleared the drive. I said, oh "Okay, so we're really going. We're really going back to square one." So yes, oh, you are. that is actually crazy. I've literally <laughs> left things in previous schools and just said, "Well, it's there. I guess yeah. if you, can, you can use it." But wow, okay, that's. I mean, uh, okay, yeah, great. <laughs> and th- things happen. Things really do. But um, <laughs> I want to talk about what you said with just having to manage a team. And I want to go back to this men and women um, dialogue. Do you find that it's, do you have different ways of managing your male staff and your female staff and I ask this because I found I've worked under a male head teacher and a female head teacher and I will just say now I know some people are a bit funny with the terms male and female and it should be men and women but just for ease and for purpose for the purpose of this conversation I will just use those terms I've hope no one gets offended but um I've worked under you know head teachers of both genders and I found their leadership styles very different I've also found the ways they treat their men and women staff different as well um and not badly but just differently um 
so yeah is that something you as or when you were a teacher have you worked under both genders and have you noticed the difference and as a leader is there a, a difference in your approach to the different genders in your school I hope that's clear yes that is so let me answer the first part of your question about my experience under two different types of leadership so yes I've worked under male and female leadership and um funnily enough some males were great some weren't so much Um, but the females the two female head teachers that I've worked under they have been supportive in terms of like my development Mm. in terms of understanding you know how am I feeling about everything? How's everything going? What can they do to help or support? So that that has been quite interesting. But I've had like one, um, a couple of male head teachers who weren't supportive, who weren't great. But I've also had another one who he was definitely pushing for me to you know to come and work in his school, to come and to become a senko. As in, I wasn't even thinking about becoming a senko. He was just like, do this, do that, you know. So I think it depends on the person. Yeah. I will say, for me, my own personal experience, um, the empathy that I get from the female teachers have been great in terms of, you know, that understanding. And with the male teachers, it's been more, but it's it's, it's black and white. There's no gray area. Mm -hmm. Apart from one who pushed me to go and do the Senko Award and so on. He was just like, um, he could see the gray area in a lot of places as well. But... um, it was quite interesting. And when it comes to me as a leader, do I manage or lead my male staff differently to my female staff? No, I don't. I have high expectations for everyone, regardless of who you are, whether you're male or female. And I have those high expectations because I have the same high expectations of myself and people who are singing to me have those same expectations of me. So whatever you do or don't do will reflect on me as your leader. Mm-hmm. And I'm still accountable to someone. So we all have to get this right. And if yeah. you can't get it right, what do we need to do to get it right together as a team? That's how I operate. Mm-hmm. That's I think. Um, I do have very high expectations and standards. And that's not to put pressure on anyone. But that's just because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it well. Yeah. If I'm not going to do something, then I might as well not be here. Mm-hmm. If that's the attitude that people are going to have, then... I, I want people who are, are doers, you know, who who want to problem solve, who want to find a way, okay, if this is an issue, how can we solve it? If this is a problem, how, you know, how can we solve it? How can we rectify the situation? What can we do to improve? I don't, I want people who use their initiative. And that is what is so great about having a team, especially a big team where people have different ideas, different experiences, who can bring their knowledge and their expertise and their strengths to the table. And I think that's what's important. So whether you're male or female, that doesn't matter to me. But what I do expect is for you to bring your best. Now, for me, I work in an all-girls school. Mm. So when it, when it does come to managing males and females, of course, there may be certain conversations I may have with male um, TAs as well in terms of, like, you know, when they're working with, with the girls because we, we work where I work, we connect before we correct. That's one thing we go by. So, of course, everyone has their things that they have dealt with or, you know, like we kind of use trauma-informed practice and I would never want a female student to work with a male student if she's not comfortable, for example. Mm. 
I would never want anything to trigger a student that could cause them harm in any way, shape or form. So if there's anything that I can do, of course, we have male TAs and male members of staff. But if there's anything I can do to kind of make that easier for my students and to ensure that the well-being of staff and students are put first, I do that. Mm. We connect before we correct. I love that. I'm yeah. stealing that just for my <laughs> own self. <laughs> Nothing to do with work. Just as a principal, I really, really like that because, you know, even if it comes to, I know you were talking about it in the context of a situation or an incident, but just relationally, the way we relate to other people, you know, there are times where you might have to, to reprimand somebody for something or someone might have hurt you. You know, that, that's a great way to do it. Just connecting first, you know, let, let's see where we're at together before before we move forward with correction or you know expressing how we're feeling that's such a great phrase I really really love that um and I actually didn't know you were what oh English can't get my words out (laughs) I didn't know that you work in an all-girls school um would you say then because again we, we are talking about men and women the men in your school I'm going to make a sweeping assumption and assume that you've got more women working in your school than men. Definitely. Okay. So the stats are still matching up. Yep. So how would you, okay, let me rephrase this question. What value do you think the male teachers in your school add to, to add to your school, essentially? What, what are they bringing? And I ask that because, you know, we've got women essentially taking over the sector. There's lots and lots of women, according to the stats. We know that. And some people would say, well, of course, it's a natural thing, you know, even biologically evolutionary. Women are nurturing. Women, Mm -hmm. you know, have that maternal instinct. Of course, they're going to be teachers, especially in a girls' school. So for the men that are in teaching and in your school specifically, where it is young women, what value do you think they bring? How do they enhance enhance your school i like to say the males in my school just like in any sector any industry or whatever i feel like they bring a balance so there's a perspective that i may have that the male teacher may not and vice versa naturally yep um so i feel like there's balance there and on top of that for those girls who don't have a positive male role model in their lives or and you know like a father figure for them to see a positive male role model um to see a working man a professional someone who cares about their education someone who wants them to do well who's also rooting for them I think that is good I think that is it's a great way for them to see um those positive uh, male role models so that when they go out in the real world they know that there are men out there who who also want girls and women to do well who also um, who are also supportive so that's that's the value that I feel the male teachers bring to the school they bring a different perspective they bring a different understanding um, they show our girls what it means to be respectful what it means for a man to be respectful to be kind to be a gentleman and so on and it's important for our girls to see that because not everybody comes from like a two-parent household and not everyone like I said earlier has that father figure in their lives that you know they're able to experience that and if they have had that it may have not always been positive Mm -hmm. so having 
a positive encounter will let them know that not everyone's the same, everyone's different, and at least you've, you've experienced something positive in a okay. safe space in a school that you go to that is a safe space for you. Mm, definitely. See, it's interesting because I'm hearing what you're saying about complementarity, like men and women complementing each other in in the different perspectives that they both bring and they can be positive role models and you know they can be all these wonderful things for young people but we still can't ignore the fact that men just aren't entering the profession I mean we know there's a crisis of recruitment and retention so teachers just aren't we're just not getting more teachers full stop but we are also getting very of the small teacher of the few teachers we are getting very few of them are men should we say so even though teaching can offer all these wonderful things why do you think we've got this shortage why do you think that men aren't entering the profession and I did speak to men and ask them so for our new listeners please don't think that this is just us you know just um hypothesizing I we we did do a whole show on this um with men so I will go over what they said as well but just from a woman's perspective Kemi why do you think that we don't have men in our schools or as many as we would like well to be quite frank teaching is not like a lucrative kind of I, I was in so like I said for me I didn't leave university thinking I want to become a teacher that was never my plan Mm-hmm. And I'm not male, right? I'm, I'm I'm female, and I never thought that. My thinking process back then, coming out of uni with however many thousands of pounds debt that student loans going to start collecting soon, I'm thinking, how can I make as much money as possible? Mm. I I don't know anyone who goes into teaching to make money. Yep. Personally, if there are if they're listening, if they're out there, you know, great. But <laughs> I don't know anyone who has personally gone into teaching to make money because that's not where the money is. We can, pro- like in some cases, people do progress quite quickly in education, depending on the school, depending on the opportunities presented, but it's not the place where, you know, you'll be working in like banking or finance and then, or you're getting commission based or, you know, just these different type mm. of roles. Um, so if you're, okay, if I'm going to use myself as an example, coming from, a working class background my parents both worked and they they are degree holders but when they came to the country due to a lot of racism they weren't given the opportunities that their white counterparts would have had so if i'm if we're in that kind of situation i I wouldn't i would never expect my brothers for example to say yeah i'm gonna become a teacher Mm. they're thinking okay we saw mom and dad have to although they were well educated they literally had to start all over again so mm. now the position where I've come out of uni, I'm going to see what's the best job that I can get that can make me the most amount of money. That's yeah. the way I see it. That's my thought process. I could be wrong. Of course, this is my personal opinion, but that's the way I see it. And even mm. even now, what, what... Okay, let me ask you, Tolu. Mm. You're a teacher, so obviously you're already in the profession. But the average 21-year-old coming out after a three-year degree mm. is teaching the most lucrative thing they could do to make money. Yep. Like, it's not it's not the type of job that you would want to do to say, yeah, I'm going to make money quickly, mm. progress quickly. But if you look at us teachers who are here, a lot of us, 
we do it for the love of the children, mm-hmm. the students. We're seeing it as we, we are empowering and educating the next generation. For those of us who don't have children yet, these are like our children before we have our own. Yeah. It's more, it's more to it. I promise you, if I wanted to make money, teaching is not the place I'd be. <laughs> I would have left a long time ago. So you yeah. can, it's very clear that those of us who are teachers, we're not here for the love of money. And the holidays are not enough. Anyone who's, every single person that tells me, but you get holidays, um, d- don't let me hear that come out of your mouth again. <laughs> because there are a lot of teachers who drew, they're doing um, Saturday sessions, um, holiday sessions, they're marking, they're planning, they're, yeah. they're, they're having all these different meetings or conferences whatever they're trying to do to improve themselves as teachers or get more work done they're using every minute of their day they're still going into school Mm. but you can't say we get holidays because those holidays if we're going to really count it up and take away all the extra time the hours we do monday to friday or during the half term or during the other holidays it probably still adds up to what the average person gets whether it's 30 days per per year or whatever in terms of annual leave Mm. so yeah that's my opinion on the whole recruitment retention thing it's not we're overworked we're underpaid which is why teachers are striking and until the government sees us as you know valuable valuable members of the society who contribute to the to future generations this is this is how it's going to be absolutely income and money and finances are a huge part of it I remember when I spoke to the men on that episode of the show that was absolutely one thing that resonated with all of them they said yep it's just not financially viable all the time but they like you um said it is the the value of the job that that has kept them there it's the children it's the the positive relationships it's the being the role model that has kept them in the role because yeah like you said it's definitely not the money um and it was interesting because one of them said, you know, he was hoping to, well, when he left, um, when he left uni, you know, he's always thinking, I, I'll have a family, I want to get married and all of those kind of things. And ideally, he would want to be the breadwinner. So was teacher going to get him that? Probably not. Um, and, you know, he's got all those wonderful things and he is teaching. So, you know, he's made it work, which is great. But yes, finances definitely were a big part of that. Can I just um, also add? Um, yeah, absolutely. Sorry to cut you off, Tolu. What you said about the whole finances thing. As a woman, I have to even think about when I want to have a child. Because mm-hmm. it's like, maternity pay is not great. Nope. It's, but, you know, so if I don't work, I'm not earning as much money. Mm-hmm. Nursery fees are ridiculous. Um, like you said, it's not the most financially viable type of profession where we're making all that money and cost of living crisis. It's mm-hmm. play into why maybe a lot of women are not in senior leadership because when we now come out of the profession to have children, to take care of our families and want to come back in, maybe those opportunities have gone. We, we've missed. Mm-hmm. Um, for some, maybe they've missed that opportunity. Or maybe it's, it's also, I've heard some women say like, mum guilt. You know, mm-hmm. with the workload that we have to do, there are times where I get to work for 7 a.m. and I'm not leaving until 8 p.m. Yeah. Or there are times where I'm at home and I'm working till 11 p.m. at night. And I'm doing this now without children. I, mm-hmm. This is not sustainable for my own mental and emotional well-being, let alone for when I now have kids. Yeah. 
So those are those could also be reasons why some women don't end up going into senior leadership, which is why it's dominated by men. Because two weeks paternity in comparison to taking off maybe a, if some women want to take off up to a year for the benefit of their their family. And some women are forced to do that because if I go back to work after, I don't know, three months or six months and I have to pay £300 a week in um, in nursery fees, the money doesn't add up anyway. Most of my salary is going to paying for nursery. I might as well just stay at home. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's another reason why you may not see as many women in positions of senior leadership because of the the toll it takes on the family, the financial toll it may take as well. And I think that's one reason why, for me, it was important that I progressed to senior leadership before having children. Mm. I know that if I leave but I and I come back after maternity or whatever, this is a position I'm coming back into. I'm yeah. not still climbing. I'm now already here. Mm, that's that makes sense. Point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I am currently on maternity leave and it is difficult it's as in the with the fine with the finances it's not it can be very difficult to get by and there is always going to be a sacrifice that needs to be made somewhere it's either you return to work faster but then you're paying for childcare, like you said if I mean not for everybody some people are blessed to have family or you take the whole year off but then your career suffers and even now that I'm at home with baby I'm still thinking okay what are we doing in September when I go back what do I want my department to look like and all these sort of things so you know you never really switch off (laughs) even on maternity leave and that is a choice that I'm making you know no one has said that I have to do anything for next year my head teacher has been absolutely brilliant even since before I left so that that's a personal choice because I want to be prepared but it is really difficult and actually I didn't consider that in the conversation um when thinking about why more men are in school leadership than women that's a huge part of it that is a really huge thing um so thank you for bringing that up because I completely overlooked that even though I am sitting at home with a child (laughs) but it is absolutely massive and I think congratulations by the way Thank you so much. I think the only reason it kind of works for me is because my role is very unique. I don't have the pressures of being a normal classroom teacher anymore. So I've made it work for me, thankfully. But um, there was something that I wanted to dig into a little bit. And I'm going to park the men and women discussion to one side because I've wanted to ask you this for some time, even before I asked you to be a guest. But I just never got around to it. I really wanted to ask about your teaching experience in Dubai. Um, what type of school was it? What was your role there? How was it? I, I'm so intrigued. Oh, um, it was a private British international school. It was, um, I think there are like levels to it. So there's like a premium plus school. There's a premium school. Mine was a premium. So it was one of the like, more expensive fee paying schools. Um, working in Dubai was absolutely fantastic. My work-life balance was amazing. You know, all my friends used to say that I actually did not go out there to work. I was just enjoying my life. And I said, it definitely was. Um, I don't regret any part of that, you know, going, finishing work and it's still bright outside or going to the beach or having a nice dinner or so many in Dubai as well. There's so many like teacher discount deals and all these different things. So teachers are kind of taken care of as well out there. 
Mm. nice whereas here I think during COVID all we got is like a Morrison voucher or something and that's how they take care of teachers here I don't feel like teachers have the kind of perks that we should have um it working in Dubai was an eye-opener for me because I got to work with members of staff from all over the world and I also got to work with and teach children from different parts of the world that I wouldn't normally teach and I actually was employed there as a biology and an inclusion teacher and then two months after I started I got promoted to a Senko I really had I was already doing the Senko role in London but when Mm. I went out to Dubai I took a step down I didn't go out there with with any um, responsibility it was just to teach not not as a middle leader but when they saw you know in terms of how I was teaching and the fact that I had the Senko qualification they needed a Senko so they employed me I got promoted which was great and yeah it was a lot of work don't get me wrong working in a private school is demanding because the parents they're paying so they expect a lot Mm. they expect a lot for their children and I don't blame them but for me it was about having that work-life balance and I don't believe I've ever had a work-life balance like that the way I did over there. And I would definitely recommend for people to explore their options of working abroad because you just never know. Mm. You never know where it could take you. You never know what it could do for your family. And if if the right opportunity presented itself, I'll definitely do it again mm. because I think it's, um, it's for me at this stage now, I, I guess, I don't know, when you get into your 30s, your mindset changes a little bit. For me, it's just about my mental and emotional well-being and what's best for my future. Mm. Whereas definitely my 20s was about just climbing, climbing and making the money. Yeah. Wow. Guys, honestly, if I tell you, there would be times, 4.30, even 4 o'clock, I'd be marking books and I'd just have a cheeky look at Instagram and I'd just see Kemi there with her her lovely fruity <laughs> drink. <laughs> on the beach and this is like three o'clock or something I think there were some days you didn't even go in because it was Jamad like I just watched actually in <laughs> funnily enough you said that every Friday we finished school at 12 o'clock so I went straight to the beach yep you're definitely right yeah, right honestly I was just watching thinking so this is how the other half live like this honestly, this is really what life is like for some people it's real fantastic I'm not even gonna lie and I'm not gonna try and sugarcoat it you know <laughs> It, I wouldn't even try sorry, make it seem like it wasn't that. It really was Tolu. I was living yeah. my life. <laughs> oh, love it for you. Absolutely love it. In fact, I was surprised you came back to be <laughs> I know, right? Crazy. A lot of people say that. They're like, why did you come back? Oh, that's so funny. Well, why did you come back, actually? I'm, I'm intrigued now. So I came back because I got married. Oh, yes, and you did. And was never... I, for me, um, the long-distance thing doesn't work. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't personally like it. So I always said that when that time comes, I'm very much happy to come back or for my husband to come there. But I think it was definitely easier for me to come back because obviously all our families here, we already have mm-hmm. a home established here. So it was more easier for me to come back and to get a job as an assistant head here than it was mm. in Dubai. Another thing about that is seeing black people in senior leadership is very is very rare in Dubai. So, right. you know, we don't have a lot of it here, but in Dubai it's even less. So mm. definitely getting a senior leadership position here was easier than getting one in Dubai for me. 
So yeah. that was part of my decision for coming home because I could progress as a senior leader and I'm here with my family, I'm here with my husband and yeah, that's what worked. Mm, that makes sense. So when you were looking to go abroad, did you look at different countries or did you always know that you wanted to work in Dubai? Um, what was it that led you there? It was always Dubai. I was never looking at any other country. <laughs> no. I, I've been to Dubai uh, prior to me working there. I had gone on holiday there about seven times. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, right. <laughs> I feel, you know, I like to call myself an Emirati. Of course I'm not. But like, <laughs> I go there so often and mm. I just enjoy it. I like the weather. I like the fact that I'm always doing something new there. So I purposely looked at Dubai. Um, I con- connected with people who were, who also worked there to understand their experiences. Um, it wasn't going to be something that I was just going to do on a whim. It was something that was in the, like, years. Um, it was years in the making. And actually, to be honest with you, I completed over 300 applications before I got my first interview. Wow. And for a lot of people, they're thinking 300 and I had been applying for jobs in Dubai since 2014. And I finally got a job in Dubai seven years later in 2021. So it wasn't it wasn't an easy road for me. Mm. Definitely something that was years in the making. The feedback I would get from interviews, I'll take it on board, do something to show that I had done that. And it will still always come back with something else. They wanted to see something else. So... Yeah, it took a while, but I always wanted to work in Dubai because of the weather, because of Mm. that work-life balance. I just wanted to be able to leave work at work and have my own personal time for myself. Absolutely. Wow, that is... I mean, I'm clapping for your resilience because after five or six, I would have been done. (laughs) No, it was 300 in total when I definitely... Because I kept count. My goodness. And I feel like I see people or I know people that have, you know, gone to teach abroad and they make it seem so easy. Like they just, you know, filled out an application, had their interviews. Oh, yeah, you've got the job. Off they go. I didn't realise that it it can be so difficult to to get. Maybe for those people it was because everyone's experience is different. So for some people, maybe they had exactly what the school was looking for at the time or maybe the school, you know, the right opportunity presented itself and I just didn't apply at the right time or something like that but I just know that um it it wasn't easy for me there were times where I think like during lockdown from about 2019 up and no 2018 to 2020 I just stopped applying I just gave up mm-hmm. I thought what's the point and then I think the last straw for me was when a school um they actually like said they would like to offer me the role but they just didn't think I'll be the right fit and one of the, when I asked what the right fit was, and then I looked at the whole staff team, I realized there's there's no one black or anyone of any other color apart from white there. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, maybe that wasn't the right fit. Maybe that's why they felt that way. So yeah. um, I'm glad I'm glad things happened the way they it did though, because maybe I wouldn't have been ready to go out to Dubai. Maybe I needed to build more resilience, more experience. You know. Um, develop my own leadership skills and my own teaching style before I went out there so yeah it all happened Mm. at the right time 
Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. We actually have a question in from Peter. Thank you for your question, Peter. So he has asked, how hard is it to recruit minority teachers into STEM subjects? Um, because you're, I know your area of science. Um, I actually personally think that STEM is doing well in comparison to other subjects. And I do know that there has been a lot of focus on STEM just because of how quickly our technology is advancing. You know, we need people teaching these subjects. We need the maths teachers, physics, the engineering, all of those kind of things, the science teachers. So I don't know how, I mean, I don't, is it difficult to get teachers into STEM subjects? I imagine it was at one point, otherwise there wouldn't have been such a push for it. Um, and lots of incentives for those teachers as well, might I add. <laughs> Not me being bitter, the music teacher performing arts in the corner over here. But I don't know, Kemi, what do you think? Is it hard to get minority teachers into STEM subjects? Oh, definitely. Um, it, it's definitely hard to get minority teachers into STEM subjects, which is why, you know, like the Lewis Hamilton Foundation, Mission 44, they've established getting more black teachers into STEM Um they've partnered up with Teach First to do that. I remember mm -hmm. working in the pupil referral unit and a student said to me, raw miss, there's black science teachers out there. Like, you're a black <laughs> science teacher. I was just like, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I am. Like, I, I, I thought you... Automatically, he went, he just went straight into sports. He said, and there's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with anything to do with sports. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But he just automatically went into, I just thought, madam, you would be a PE teacher. And I asked him why. And then he's, he, the student said, that's what they push us into. Wow. They push us into sports. And I said, well, I'm a science teacher. And, you know, this is what you're going to be learning in my lesson. And we kind of got down to it. And um, it's quite, I know black science, I know science teachers who are black, you know, black science mm -hmm. teachers now and so on. But coming to think of it, even when I was growing up, I didn't really maybe there was like a couple but yeah there's there weren't a lot and I'm just I just think I don't know why I don't know if it's because schools are not looking in the right places I don't know if presenting itself I, I don't know what the reasons are mm. but I do know there are scientists who are black out there there are teachers who are black there are teachers who can teach science subjects and stem subjects it's just important that the t um, the employers recruit or they look in the right places um, because sometimes the Guardian or TES is not enough. You might mm -hmm. need to broaden your yeah. horizon a bit and go and really, like, you know how some recruiters go and headhunt for people? You might yes. have to do that. Mm, that's true. I suppose I find it interesting because culturally, and this is just me speaking for the culture that I am a part of, if you want to go to uni, and this this is changing, I, I do believe a lot of our parents are becoming more understanding, but typically, if you were studying, you know, your parents would want you to be a scientist, a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, you know, those kinds of professions, which are essentially STEM, quote unquote, professions. So... I suppose it it was a bit surprising to me when I'm hearing that there aren't many minority ethnic teachers because that's kind of what we're pushed to do. Yeah, but, but, but then it, I think it, it's that's the knowledge, not the profession. 
So it's like the scientists are there, the doctors are there, the mathematicians are there. They're just not teachers. You just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. They're just going into, they're in those professions, but they're just not teachers. Yeah. That is, yeah, I suppose that's it really. Um, But I do think it's good that they are trying to recruit for those, those roles. I've seen... Well, I know when I was studying or about to do my PGCE, they <laughs> they had bursaries for the different subjects. And I remember just going through the list to see how much bursary you would get, depending on the subject. And primary school was like at the bottom of the list. No, no one cares about primary school teachers. Thanks, government. And I think the highest bursary you could get well it was just a ridiculous amount of money but it was physics I think it was and then maths and I just remember sitting there like you know why why don't we just encourage people into the profession never mind what subject right now let's just get the teachers in but yeah Peter I hope that's answered your question um there's still a way to go as we know there's teachers are leaving the profession at a very rapid rate um so yeah hopefully hopefully that can change but there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done did you do um did you attend any of the strikes Kemi yeah I did um I've actually attended quite a few Mm. and just it's what what is just really annoying me is the fact that the government aren't listening Mm. and it's so funny how, you know, during COVID, during lockdown, let's clap for nurses, uh, you know, teachers, you know, they're, they're going into schools and they're teaching the children and blah, 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 blah. But now it's like, okay, well, pay us what we're worth then. Let, let's make sure that our salaries match with inflation. That's all we want, you know, at least. And all of a sudden, mm. now we're the, the villains. Yeah. It just Absolutely. doesn't make sense. I agree. It is very disheartening and discouraging and yes I feel like no one really understands what teachers do unless you live with one you are one or you're married to one (laughs) and yeah I think it's just one of those things where everyone is an expert on teaching but no one wants to do it everyone's an expert on teaching but no one can actually explain how much work we do or understand it so yeah it's it's not the most pleasant thing to be hearing about every day it's like oh yeah teachers you know they get all these holidays and they get this and they get that I'm like well if it's so easy you do it then (laughs) and I think that's just where we're all at as a as a job sector at the moment I think we're all just a bit fed up so yeah there is that so I'm gonna park that to one side because this isn't meant to be a negative Nancy kind of show (laughs) I do want to ask, because we've spoken about challenges, we've spoken about, you know, men and women and all of those things, but I would like to know what it is you really enjoy about your role in leadership. What's, maybe, is there a particular moment you can think of when you thought, yeah, I'm absolutely doing what I'm meant to be doing? I know you mentioned the Year 11 girls, but what do you love about your role? Why should people aspire to senior leadership, especially women? For me... I love making a difference. And I know that could sound like so cliche because we, we all make difference. We all make a difference every day as teachers. 
but it's um for me it's it's that difference that you're making in the life of a child like for me as a senko especially um there are students with special educational needs that maybe don't have or don't get the right access to the curriculum that they should be getting and just making those changes ensuring that they have what they need to be successful academically while they're with you in school that makes a that makes me happy and also for me as a leader um i not just a leader in the school but also as the founder of the young black teachers network ensuring that the community of teachers that i know they have the right support and that's mm-hmm. important to me that makes me happy because i know when i first started teaching i i did not feel and i didn't actually have that kind of support so this is what brings me joy supporting other teachers and ensuring that children students have what they need to be successful academically so they can go out in the world and do their best because some of these children that we're teaching now might end up teaching our own children that we have mm. i need to make sure that i'm setting the right foundations i can't have mm. them coming back to haunt me so <laughs> i need to you know you just want to make that you definitely want to make a difference in the lives of children and sometimes I think about, you know, those children who, when they come to school, it's their safe haven and they're happy. But when they go home, it's not, it's not what it should be. Mm. I think about them. Like if, if six hours a day is what's going to bring you joy, I want to be part of that joy. Mm. I don't want to be adding to whatever stress you're dealing with. Like we have, you know, you have some students who could be young carers, so they have to be they have to play that adult role at home and they can't be children at home. So they come to school and this is where they can be a child. Mm-hmm. You you want them to, to feel and to know that you're an advocate. Um, do you, you know, you're an advocate for them. I don't know if you've heard of a woman called um, Rita Pearson. No, I haven't. She's passed away now, but she did a TED talk and she said every child needs a champion. Mm. And that would always resonate with me. So I think that's why I enjoy doing what I do. That's why I'm passionate about education. I may not always, I can't promise that I'm always going to be a teacher. I've done 10 years already. I may not do another (laughs) 10 years, but Mm -hmm. every child does need a champion. And I would like to think that when I have my own children and they're in school, there's going to be someone in that school that will be a champion for them too. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's so cute. And I think it is about you know it's it's partially about legacy as well because I know being a primary school teacher well you know most of us have gone to primary schools you typically tend to only have one teacher per year so it's like you'll only ever have one year two teacher one year five teacher one year six teacher if all goes well during that school year and it's it's almost like you know how do you want to be remembered and even though secondary school, you've got lots of different teachers. If you're a great teacher, that your students will remember you. There's there's no way. And in this whole technological age that we're living in and our young people, they will find you on social media. <laughs> they will. And yep, they'll they bump do. into you in the street and they'll say, oh, miss, you taught me science, you taught me music, you taught me whatever. They, they just don't forget. Um, so I'm completely with you. Legacy is so important in that respect. Um, and yeah, you don't want to be the teacher that's known as whatever names these young people have for 
<laughs> for teachers they don't like. I'm sure there's so many. But I'm not down with the kids anymore, so <laughs> God only knows. <laughs> I've been out of school for a good few months now, so I'm sure the slang has evolved in my short time away. <laughs> Honestly. Um, what was I going to ask? Yes. What advice would you give to anybody, even though we are focusing on women, but I will say just anyone in general, what advice would you give to anybody that is aspiring to leadership, whether that be middle leadership, head of year, head of department, pastoral, whatever it might be, what would you say to those people either about how to position themselves for that role or being in it and maintaining it and doing well in it what would you say to encourage those people my advice would be to network so if you see someone that's in that role speak to them get to know them get to um find out what the you know their day in and day out is like um my advice would be to get a job description of that role you want whether it's pastoral whether it's head of a subject or whatever it is um, get a job description of that role, that specific role that you want. And if you can do about 50% of the things on there, apply. Because there are mediocre people who, who can only do about half of the things on those job descriptions and they get the job. So why can't oh, Say it louder. So, sorry, Kemi, I just have to jump in there because you're so right. Me personally, and I don't know if anyone else can relate, but sometimes imposter syndrome is real, right? Mm -hmm. I'm doing my job and I'm thinking, I am not qualified to be doing this thing. And then I see people who are ahead of me, earning more than me, mm -hmm. but have less qualifications than me, less years than me. And I'm thinking, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just wait a minute, wait yep. a minute. So, yeah, I completely agree. Sorry, please continue. But that, no, no, that that's fine. Right there, hit me. <laughs> no, no, I totally understand it. That's why I'm saying it, because I wish I knew this earlier. Maybe I would have been a senior leader a lot earlier than I am now. But um, it's the networking. So you know what the day in and day out of that role looks like. You know, firsthand, you're getting to know. It's getting that job description and you're going through it with a fine tooth comb. You're doing like a self audit of what are you currently doing that is in line with that and what do you need to do to make sure it's in line with that. Um, it's also, for me, there are going to be times where you have to do things for free. I'm not saying you should always work for free, of course not. But there were times that I did things before I even got into middle leadership for free to show and to prove that I can do this. It was just me putting myself out there, putting myself forward to show that, you know, I I can do this. I'm skilled. I'm qualified. And, it, you know, I may ha I did a couple of things for like a year before I started getting paid for it. But mm -hmm. then it's always making sure you are getting paid as well for it. Um, I think it's just finding that balance of what are you willing to do for free to show, whether it's for a fixed term, like one term or two, to show that, you know, you're ready for that next stage or now you're ready to get paid for it. And also do your research. I think a lot of people are very much happy to be comfortable and stay in the school because they've just been there for so long. Why leave now? Mm. But I don't, for me personally, um, I'm going to go where I can progress. I'm going to go where I can make a difference. The longest I've stayed in a school is four years. Mm. The shortest amount of time I've stayed in a school is one year. And it hasn't hindered, it hasn't had a negative impact on my career so far. I've been able to progress and even though employers can obviously see that on my CV, that I have moved to different schools, 
but it's what I've learned from those schools, what I've taken from those schools. Don't be afraid to move. Like, what, what's the worst that could happen if you move? You don't like it. Okay, you go somewhere else. But yeah. at least you've tried. And I think that's the m- most important thing. Do your research. If you're going for a role, and this is something that I've done through YBTN, I have done um, an event on, like, negotiating your pay. Do your research. I, I never, ever take the first offer. Mm. Ever. Um, and I haven't done that since the first school that I worked in where myself and another person, we did our teacher training at the same time. We both passed the same way. Everything was the same. But they, they started him on M5 and they started me on an M2. Mm? Mm-hmm. Wow. And he said to me, categorically, he said to me, I'm white and I'm a man. This is what the person said to me who got the M5. Mm. And I said, wow, you can, he just said, I'll be honest with you. I'm white and I'm a man. So they're going to start me on a higher salary. I said, great. Ever since then, I said, this is not happening again. I'm always going to negotiate. And that's just what I do. You have to be bold. You have to know that once you've been offered a role, this is what you're going to ask for. Mm. And you've done your research. So number one, you know the role you want specifically. You've got the job description. Highlight what you can do already. Highlight, you know, what you're willing to work on. Number two, network with people who are in those roles already so you can really learn what the role is about. Number three, if you can do 50% of those things on that job description, start applying. And number four, like research the salary and negotiate when you're offered that role. Negotiate that salary. Don't settle if you believe that you deserve more and you can bring more to the table. Mm. Oh, so just great nuggets there i think the salary thing is so interesting though because i feel like as a i don't know as a society yeah i was gonna say as a nation but as a society if we'll go with that generally a lot of people don't like to talk money they don't like to talk salary they don't like to talk finances and it is for exactly the reason the example that you gave that we need to be talking about it because you could be getting shortchanged and have no idea I've heard of situations just like yours, people starting the same time or maybe someone with less experience joining after and they're getting more than you that's been there 10 years and, you know, progressing. So it needs to be talked about because if you don't say anything, how are you ever going to find out? So I completely agree with that. And I do also think what you said about working for free, I have noticed that, I guess the generation just under us, uh, not to make us sound old. Guys, we're not old, we promise. Like, we're we're valuing our youth, please. <laughs> but the generation coming up under us, they are very, quite, quite cutthroat in mm, paying me for my time. You know, that there's, and of course, this, this is a sweeping generalisation. I do acknowledge that. There is a, a culture of, I don't have to work for free. Like, that's my time. I should be paid what I'm worth. And absolutely no one is disputing that. But I do think there is still a place for, you know, for learning and not giving up your time for free per se. But if it's going to add value to you in the long run, just forget about money temporarily. So you can get the skills you need, get the contacts you need to help you move ahead. So you can make that money back later, essentially. So I think there's some real wisdom in what you said there so I am very grateful for sharing that and summarizing it very nicely in true teacher fashion (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome um 
so lastly just to to wind down the show normally the show is on a wednesday so it's like well-being wednesday but it's a monday it's fine but um yeah i just wanted to close the show by talking about well-being because as we've covered in the shows leadership is, is demanding teach teaching is demanding whatever level you're at do you I feel like I know what you're going to say because you, you you're a seasoned teacher. You've been doing this for long enough. But are you ever able to really shut off and just cut, just forget about teaching and, and focus on you and your life and your personal circumstances? How good are you at doing that? I am not good with that. I remember maybe up until... 2019 up until 2019 I was very good with that I was just you know once work is done it's done I'm going home mm-hmm. spending my own time you know my time is my time yeah. however as I progressed into middle leadership and doing the same code like studying at the same time as running YBTN and working full-time it, it my work-life balance let me not lie to you and let me not lie to anyone who's listening it hasn't it hasn't been great. Um, like I said, I can start work at 7 in the morning and finish at 8 p.m. I've got like an hour or two before it's time to go to bed. Mm. So I don't fully switch off. For example, I went I went away to Malta for the weekend, so I did switch off in that sense. But while I was there, I was even making notes on what needs to be done and remembering something else and emailing, you know. So I wasn't completely switched off. Mm. It's um, There's always something on my mind. And it has. It's not. It's not always good, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out. Like I said, this year, this is my first senior leadership role, so I'm doing a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. next year better for me in terms of managing my time. Mm. That's a fair point, actually. I do think that the first year in any role, or the first few months, maybe in other sectors, it can be quite demanding because you do want to do well you want to do your best you want to be on top form make sure you know what's going on you're on top of your work and it can absolutely there just aren't enough hours in the day to do what we need to do as teachers and educators so that that does make sense for the situation that you're in and hopefully you will get to a point where it's not so draining (laughs) it's not taking up so much of your time outside of work but you did mention that it was up to 20 so basically before you became any kind of leader um so in those moments how did you unwind how did you detach from work what did you do for your own peace of mind uh I love reading reading is Uh like an escape for me I get to escape reality and just get lost in a book so reading um I like writing short stories and I love traveling anyone who knows me knows that I may not go out and you know be spending money on a lot of like restaurants and clothes and shoes and stuff like that but for me if I can get on that plane I'm getting on it Mm. so that's that's another way that I try to unwind is just traveling when I can of course when I can afford to do so Mm. Um, yeah it's just traveling and reading are my main things I love reading is there a book that you are currently reading at the moment so I'm currently I just finished reading Transcendent Kingdom by Yaa Gayasi 
And I'm currently reading The Black Kids by Christina Reed. So I try to read a lot. I read a lot of fiction. Um, I read a lot of Af- stories by African authors mm. uh, or African-American authors. So I, because when I was growing up, the library books, I just never saw anyone who was like mm. a black author. So as I've gotten older, I'm trying to read more. Yes, I can definitely relate. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of the fiction books I've been reading recently have been by Black authors as well, especially what Black are you currently reading? authors. Um, I am currently reading, oh gosh, what's it called? 101 Essays to Help You Think Differently or something like that. Okay. But it's just um, a collection of short essays um, that just approach different things in life really and one of the things that stuck out to me recently actually was um the woman the author said you're not achieving well I'm paraphrasing here but she basically said you're not achieving everything you want to in life because you spend too much time thinking about it and not enough time Mm -hmm. doing it and I just had to put the book down because why are you shouting literally (laughs) yeah that's that I feel personally attacked right now (laughs) do you know what I mean I just read that and I actually just had to just stop and put the book down because yeah I just thought she was dragging me quite frankly (laughs) but um yeah reading it's been such a joy to be able to read just over this maternity time because apart from reading on the tube and reading for work um yeah I don't really get to like I'll read the book that the children are reading because I have to teach it the next day Uh but aside from that I just really found it difficult to find the time. So it's now so great to be able to have have that time back to just read and enjoy the love of reading. So I'm definitely with you on that. The traveling one, I will I'll catch up to you one day. <laughs> but one day. No, no, like honestly, it's just even staycations, you know, in 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 England. It's it's just to, it's just nice to move away from your usual scenery and to you know to see something else. Definitely, though I think my only issue with staycations at the moment is by the time you've worked out the prices, it's probably cheaper to go abroad anyway. Yeah, that's another thing. But hey ho, that is life in the UK. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, I do have one last question for you, which I was meant to ask at the start, but I forgot, and I ask everyone this as. Teacher Talk Radio's resident music teacher. <laughs> what was your favourite song to sing when you were a student in school? What was your favourite school song? Oh my gosh. When I was a... So I went to... the My first primary school was St John the Baptist in Hackney. And we used to sing like... Um, you know, he's got the whole world in his hands. This little light of mine. You know those kind of Christian yes. songs, you know? Oh, so, yes. Yeah, those those are my kind of songs, man. And the assembly hall, we're all singing together. Oh, do you know what? I can't wait for that. It's so funny because I forgot that you went there because that's where I teach now. Wait, what? And yeah, <laughs> I teach in the school that you went to. St. John the Baptist in Hackney? Yeah. In that is, Yeah, that is where I am. No or way. When I'm not on maternity leave. But yes. Oh, yeah, I know. Look at look right now. <laughs> but um, it's funny you said that. Like singing in the hall. One, the hall hasn't changed. It probably looks exactly the same. I need to but come I, and visit. Oh, please do. 
okay, we'll sort this off. So sort <laughs> this off air. But because I joined during lockdown, I or just was it during or 2020 anyway, all the dates from this pandemic time have just all scrambled in my brain. But I am yet to have an in-person whole school assembly with them because it was all on Zoom because of the school bubbles and things. And you can imagine singing on Zoom is just the strangest thing because I couldn't hear the children. I was in a room by myself (laughs) singing over Zoom. It was very Dora the Explorer. Like I would sing a line and then just sit in silence, hoping and praying in faith that they were singing in their classrooms and just have to encourage them. Well done children, you're doing so well. And I don't know if any of them actually opened their mouths. But yes, I am hoping and praying (laughs) that when I get back in September, we can have a whole class, a whole school even assembly and yes thank you for sharing your favorite songs he's got the whole world in his hands this little light of mine absolutely just absolute classics so yes it really is the christian songs that hit that that just stick in your brain and i don't know if it's because so many of us went to church of england schools but when i ask people what their favorite song is it usually is one of those hymn style songs so yeah, they just seem to be stuck in the stuck in our brains. Definitely, I wouldn't um, change it for the world. <laughs> honestly, they are just absolutely brilliant. Shine, Jesus, shine! I will teach every oh class. Oh my gosh! Every class that song. Don't, don't even day. get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> Oh, well, we have come to the end. Kemi, it's been such a joy spending the evening with you. Thank you so much for being our guest this evening. And to all our lovely listeners, thank you for tuning in. I will be back to Wednesdays in the next two weeks, I believe. So do look out for all the promo and the tweets that will be coming out over the next week or two. Thank you again for joining us and have a lovely rest of the week. Take care, everybody. Good night. Bye.